Good morning. Welcome to New Community. Um, we're happy to have all of you here today. My name is Hope and I'm an elder here. Before we got started with the service, uh, we wanted to take a moment to address the events of this past week. Um, so I'm sharing this on behalf of the elders and the staff here at New Community. Like some of us, uh, we sat dumbfounded this past Wednesday as insurrectionists stormed the gates of the United States Capitol. We watched as rioters marched through the halls of the government, stole podiums, looted, ransacked offices, and abused police officers. Elected representatives sheltered in place while chaos ensued and lives were lost. For many, this was a shock. For others, this was tragically predictable, an outcome of the rhetoric of the past four years. As difficult as the images and responses were to watch, the most terrifying and disturbing images were the ones containing the Christian flag. The photographs that promoted Jesus while at the same time supporting violence, white supremacy, Christian nationalism, these were the images that broke our hearts. These images are the fruit of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is an ideology that infuses Christianity and American civil life and policy in a way that promotes everything as always being distinctively Christian. Christian nationalism holds that America has always been and should always be a Christian nation with sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies that align with a certain expression of what is Christian. Anyone not agreeing with these ideologies is accused of being unpatriotic and unchristian. The truth is, as long as people locate their worth, significance, and security in their power, traditions, religious behaviors, and a nation, rather than a relationship with the Creator, this kind of response is inevitable. Now, there's a lot to unpack. However, much has already been said and does not need repeating regarding the importance of truth and the need to be people of integrity and honesty. Additionally, the stark contrast between the police response and protests this summer among people of color and the riots this past week speak to the disparity of injustice in our nation. Instead of adding more to this conversation and these themes, uh, we felt it was important to remind each of us um, as a community to be a part of the kingdom response. At New Community, we need to see the fallacy of placing our hope in systems of power in a place that trusts squarely on Jesus, who calls us into love and advocacy. The world we desire will not come at the hands of a political party or as a result of fighting in advance to advance our personal, religious, or political interests. The kingdom of God expands and transforms the world through love. This is clearly evident in the way that Jesus responds to Peter and his misguided disciples after cutting off the ear of the soldier who came to arrest Jesus. Jesus makes it known that whenever we respond with power, violence, and political agenda, we're showing a lack of awareness among the central message of the kingdom. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Along the way of life, someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate. This can be done by projecting the ethic of love to the center of our lives. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. If we want to see real change happen in our nation, we need to once again take up the posture of Christ, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than ourselves. We are to look not just to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We are to outdo one another in showing honor, loving others by serving them, 
Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take the homeless, befriend the friendless, and visit the condemned prisoner. This is what the kingdom looks like. It is the kingdom in which we believe the proud will be humbled and the humble exalted. Laws, bullets, violence, and the acts of the past week can never bring about transformation that is needed. Only as we love and allow the character of Christ to be formed in us, acting and thinking like Jesus, can we expect the reign of God to be established in our hearts. In the cities in which we dwell, and eventually the whole world come under the loving influence of the kingdom. The kingdom of God expands and transforms the world through advocacy. The world engages you to stick to familial, tribal, ethic, or nationalistic loyalties. But this is not the neighbor love that God commands. We are to stand for those facing injustice, for the marginalized, and those experiencing the hatred of white supremacy. To be an advocate is to move from a posture of helping someone else in their problems to a position where we realize that our neighbor's problem is our problem. MLK said, We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. What happens to our brother and our sisters is not their problem. It is our problem. We need to take on the injustice and loving service and standing with our brothers and sisters. We need to advocate with self-sacrificial love. If our neighbors' experiences of injustice and hurt do not become personal and demand something of us, then we're missing kingdom love. Our world might make this sound impractical and irrational, but that is only evidence of how we rationalize our connection in the kingdom of God. We are a body, and the hurt one, the hurt one part of the body experiences should be the hurt of the whole body, not just that part of the body being abused. This requires radical love that reflects the nature of God and looks like Jesus. May we not lose our focus on being people who do not just talk about the kingdom, but actually live it, embody it, and proclaim it with our lives and our words. In order to do this, we have to be more committed than ever to discipleship. Following in the way of Jesus is the antidote to the Christian nationalism and the horror of white church today. The series we are now inviting you into is intentionally pursuing, knowing, and understanding the Savior Jesus. May we engage in the work of love and advocacy to bring about justice. May we never engage in anything that is not motivated by Christ-like love, and may we reveal the fullness of the kingdom of God in our lives and our city. Amen. Good morning, new community. Welcome to our living room as we invite you into worship this morning. My name is Hannah Ray, and this is my husband, Ryan. We've both been attending new community for several years now, and we sure do miss being with y'all in person at this very moment. We both recently graduated from Whitworth University, and even more recently than that, we got married this summer at the end of July. And a fun fact, a little bit, Connected to New Community, we have Mo Hartnov and Russ Davis and the 90 Plus Project to thank at some degree for our marriage because it was several years ago that on our way to a 90 Plus training session that we were both coaching that I asked Hannah Ray on our first date. So thank you, the 90 Plus Project. We invite you now to join us in the call to worship this morning. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and God will exalt you. O oh Lord, invite us through our worship to draw closer to you. 
Give us grace to be humble and determination to seek your way. And may the lightness and weight of God, the joy and cost of the way of Jesus, and the elegant mystery of the Holy Spirit be with us both now and always. Amen. Now we have come to the favorite time in the service, announcements. And I have two. The first, the upcoming DIY retreat. As a staff, we've been seeking ways to assist you in your spiritual formation during a time when we're not gathering in person. The hope for this do-it-yourself retreat is to provide you with tools to assist in you setting aside time to seek God. We're suggesting two upcoming weekends as the time we can collectively engage in this pursuit. We would encourage you to create space in your schedule to retreat alone or in community. We're asking you to sign up. Signing up will do two things. First, it will give you access to the retreat guide and supplemental videos and podcasts to conduct your own retreat. Secondly, it will allow the staff and elders to pray for you on the appropriate weekend in which you will engage in the retreat. You can sign up at new-community.com backslash retreat sign up. I'll say that again, new-community.com backslash retreat sign up. The link will be posted in the chat and will also be found in the weekly newsletter in the loop. We look forward to hearing stories of how your intentional time set aside draws you closer to our Creator. Secondly, tomorrow is the day we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. It is a day that reverberates with the message of equality and the dignity of all people created in the image of God. For the last 14 years, we have marched together as a community. This is a day we demonstrate with our actions the true meaning of our words that all men are created equal. We know with the nature of the current pandemic that collectively marching as a community is not advised. So we are suggesting an alternative. Instead of marching downtown as a group, we are encouraging you to perform a different type of march, a march in your section of the city, in your neighborhood, on your block, to march in a form of a prayer walk, an intentional walk through your neighborhood, praying for justice, equality, and an end to racism. In addition, we'll be sending out a newsletter on Monday morning, providing you with suggestions for the march, linking you to the events happening in Spokane, and inviting you to engage in a week-long conversation around the subject of race. The links and opportunities are our collective opportunity to stand with our brothers and sisters. Let us together engage in the work of anti-racism. And remember the words of Dr. King, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Good morning, Kidscom. I have a question for you. What kinds of things do you like to do as a kid? Maybe you like to go outside and play in the backyard. Maybe you like to read. Maybe you like to go on hikes. Did you know that Jesus was a kid too, just like you? Today we're continuing our series about the life of Jesus. So as always, let's enter our sacred space together and take some time this morning to quiet our bodies and open our hearts to hear what God has to say to us. Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for loving us so much and for sending your son down to earth as a baby, vulnerable, just like us. 
please help us every day to learn to be more like you, to be more like your son. Help us to be kind and to love and to look out for ways to help others in our everyday lives. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's devotion is called Topsy-Turvy. The true story of God coming to rescue his children is topsy-turvy good news. Jesus said, the way to be the greatest is to be the least. The way to save your life is to give it away. Jesus didn't come with wealth. He came as a poor man. He didn't come as a general to grab power. He came as a baby. He didn't come to be boss of everyone. He came to be a servant. And without fighting a single military battle, God's undercover prince conquered the whole world. Today's verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Let's take some time to wonder together this morning about what we just heard. You can answer all these questions in one sitting or maybe over the next couple days. I wonder in what ways Jesus was similar to us growing up. I wonder in what ways Jesus was different than us growing up. Not much is discussed about Jesus's childhood but we do know he always stood up for the poor and those in need, that he was loving and he was kind. I wonder how that might look in your own life to be more like Jesus. Our craft for this series is located on the KidsCom website under today's lesson. And there you will find the printout um, for this series. And you will color today's image of Jesus washing feet, um, just like our devotion uh, shared with us today. And you will cut it out and you will put it on the timeline that we have been um, creating during the series. And once you have the image colored, cut out, and on your timeline, you will go ahead and choose one of the I wonder questions to write maybe your thoughts on one of those questions on the back of today's image. Kids come, may we continue wondering together about Jesus and his life here on earth and what it is he has to share with us um, through his example. We love you. Newcom, welcome to the second video cast of 2021. Glad that you were here with us this morning. Today, we're going to talk about a period of Jesus's life that we actually don't know much about. Of his 33 total years of life, we really only have a recording of three to four of them. Most of us have a good handle on his birth and the days surrounding, 
Then we have a pretty detailed account of his final three years, the years of his active ministry, but this really only accounts for about 10% of his life. So what about the other 90%, the roughly 30 years of Jesus's growth from a baby to a man? Here is the fundamental question we're asking today. Is there anything we can gather about who God is from this time between his birth and ministry? Although there is not much we know for certain, there are a few things we know about Jesus between the nativity and the beginning of his ministry. The scripture gives us a few specific stories and some indication of what this time might have looked like for Jesus. Let's start at the beginning. In Luke 2, after the birth narrative, we read about Simeon the righteous. During the eighth day, the circumcision ritual, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem to present their son before the Lord. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon meets the family in the temple courts and speaks this prophetic word, sometimes called the hymn of Simeon. Luke 2, 29-32 Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Mary and Joseph, being the trusting parents they were, simply marvel at the words coming from the strange man holding their new son. Simeon's profound statement over Jesus prophesies to what we know on this side of the story to be true, that Jesus is the salvation for all people. Directly following this encounter, the 84-year-old prophetess, Anna, also took some stage time to speak about the newborn Jesus to all in the courts who would listen. From the beginning, it's clear that others outside of those involved in the birth know that there is something special about this baby. Although we don't think about it in this order, it's likely sometime following these prophetic moments that the Magi have finished their journey and present their gifts to Jesus. After the kingly visit, the Gospel of Matthew tells us an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, imploring him to escape to Egypt with Mary and Jesus, eluding the bloodthirsty Herod. They sneak away in the night, making the journey to Egypt. As the crow flies about 264 miles, but a journey on foot would have been much longer given the terrain. The escape to Egypt was less likely an escape to Egypt we think of now, and more likely a 65-mile trek to Egyptian territory just outside of Herod's jurisdiction. What's really important is not the length of the journey, but A, the reality that they were outsiders in Egypt a family of a different culture and religion living in a strange land, and B, they were called out of Egypt, reminding us of the Exodus narrative and thus fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea when he exclaims, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I call my son. The family lived as refugees for a time. How long is not exactly known, but Matthew indicates they returned after the death of Herod. As they were called back, they had to settle in the town of Nazareth due to the equally cruel son of Herod and his reign in Judea. This detail can be easily overlooked, but Mary and Joseph in this place, although it was closer to home, was still not home. They were still disconnected from their family, and culturally, the extended family was your community and safety net in this time. So in many ways, Mary and Joseph were still on their own in a strange land. Regardless of present difficulties, Joseph and Mary were diligent to do everything required by their religious law, 
and were clearly willing to do whatever it took to keep Jesus safe. What the next eight to ten years were like, we don't really know, but Jesus comes back into focus as a 12-year-old boy. The end of Luke shares a story of preteen Jesus in the temple. After one of their annual journeys to Jerusalem for the Passover, Jesus stays behind while his parents begin traveling back. Likely overwhelmed by the journey ahead and their needs of the growing family, they only forget about Jesus for about a day or so until they realize. Turning around and making the trip back to Jerusalem, having now to deal with a bona fide missing child situation, it takes them three days to find Jesus. Arguably not the best parenting moment in the scriptures. But there he is in the temple, wowing the old rabbis with his active listening and questions. When finally found, Mary, as a calm mother would ask, says this in Luke 2, 48. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. The precocious Jesus at this time gives what I'm sure is the answer any mother would want to hear. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This interaction alone provides a window into several of Jesus' teachings later in the Gospels regarding undivided devotion to God. The reunited family travels back to their home in Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is said to be obedient to them, and as Mary has done before, she treasures all of these things in her heart. The last thing we hear until the Gospels pick up the story with his baptism as a 30-year-old man is that Jesus grows in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is all the information we have to build our understanding of who Jesus was before his public ministry began. There's not a lot to go off, but if you step back and think about his culture, a few of his experiences, and the ways in which he grew up, the picture does come into focus. For example, Jesus lived the first part of his life as a refugee in Egypt, as a stranger in a different land, as an alien, as an outsider. How about the poverty of Jesus's upbringing? The scripture never clearly speaks to the economics of Joseph and Mary's household, but given our understanding of history and culture in this time, and the fact that Joseph was a journeyman carpenter, apart from the support of his extended family, it's reasonable to assume his upbringing would have been modest, if not outright poor. Or what about the fact that when the family moved back, they were in Nazareth, which was occupied by Rome. Even when they were back in their own country, they were powerless. They were subject to tyrannical authority, were treated as second-class citizens, and their daily expression of life clouded by uncertainty and fear. If we just look at these three elements of Jesus' life, wouldn't it be fair to assume they might have impacted his ministry? That spending time as a refugee, that growing up in poverty, or that living under the impression of an occupying country would inform the things that Jesus cared about. That Jesus' message would flow from these experiences and that his heart would be especially attuned to people with the same shared experience. When you read the Gospels holding this perspective, I believe your theology might begin to change. You can see why Jesus talks so much about the dangers of power and the easy corruption of wealth. Those parables that have forced us to ask deeper questions about fairness begin to read differently. The ways Jesus interacts with the world that have caused us to wrestle with our own preconceived ideas of how God should be begin to make more sense. When we read these stories through the eyes of the poor, 
the alien and the oppressed, the pieces begin to fit. For some, it might seem dangerous to suggest that Jesus' ministry was informed by the culture he lived in. Even though I think we can agree that humans are impacted by their culture and Jesus was, in fact, 100% a human being, I get that some are uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus, as also 100% God and therefore unchanging, would be affected and influenced in this way. Thus, the tension and beautiful mystery of the Incarnation. But rather than get stuck here, and instead of losing the theological forest through the doctrinal trees, what if Jesus' time as a refugee and his impoverished upbringing and his understanding of oppression was actually always part of the plan? What if these things were not seen as random experiences and situations of Jesus' life, but rather the remarkable consistency of God's heart showing itself to be true once again? From the opening pages of scripture, God is a God for the orphan and widow, for the sick, for the alien, for the oppressed, for those that have no voice. If you don't believe me, go back and re-listen to any one of our messages from the fall series, Studying the Minor Prophets. Like Joseph said two weeks ago on International Youth Pastor Speaking Sunday, God has always been about the outcast, the downtrodden, the forgotten, the neglected, the overlooked. To show his heart is for those people, God became one of them. In Jesus, the man who lived 2,000 years ago. In this way, the mystery of Jesus' early life, or the silent years as they are sometimes called, is really not a mystery at all. They are just a continuation and tangible expression of what God has always been most concerned about. To really interpret scripture, to really begin to understand its meaning, I believe you have to come to terms that it's expressed through this lens, not the lens of the wealthy or powerful or dominant, which God chose not to embody, but a lens of a God inhabiting poverty, living as an outsider and bearing the weight of oppression. We can be assured that Jesus' love extends to all people, yes, even the rich and the powerful, which by the world's standards are most of us listening today. But God chose to become the neglected and overlooked so we, his followers, would never neglect nor overlook anyone. Ron Sider says this, God's word teaches a very hard, disturbing truth. Those who neglect the poor and the oppressed are not really God's people at all no matter how frequently they practice their religious rituals, nor how orthodox are their creeds and confessions. Cider's words echo the message of the sheep and goats parable in Matthew 25. Jesus ends the parable saying this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as I did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. The canon of scripture consistently testifies to the truth of this parable. God can be misconstrued to be many things, 
but his heart for and orientation toward the vulnerable and the have-nots is unmistakable. And if by some crazy convergence of cosmic events, you read scripture without noticing this reality, he provided for us one final definitive action when he becomes the weak, the poor, the oppressed, and on the cross demonstrates that it's love and peace that will ultimately conquer. Newcom, it's easy to become myopic, to focus in on the things that are most important to your life, and in so doing, lose focus on the call placed on all of our lives to care for the least of these. As you read the Gospels and wonder what Jesus must have been like, may you remember he would have been easy to pass by without noticing, much like many of the people in our world. May our eyes recognize the poor, the stranger, the oppressed, and in so doing, may we actually serve the living God of the universe. For whatever you do for the least of these, you do for Jesus. Amen. Confession. Father, we have not lived as you have asked us to live. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. We pray this and ask your forgiveness in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Assurance of forgiveness. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hi, new community. Uh, like we said before, we are going to enter into a time of communion right now. So if you've not had a chance yet, go ahead and grab any elements that you need. And let me just uh, remind you, this can be bread, crackers, cereal, really whatever you have. Um, and then wine, juice, water, anything will work. Um, and as we do this, I want to remind you of a couple things. One, please, please, please know that whoever you are, whatever your background is, um, all who are seeking Jesus are invited to the table. And so we just welcome you to this time of communion with us. And two, I want to also remind you on that note that you are not alone. Um, as we can't be together physically right now, we still are a community and we are still together. And this is one of those opportunities where we get to take communion together um, and enter into this sacred space and the sacred time with one another. So I invite you to take a breath. Uh, maybe center yourself a little bit. Remind yourself of what communion is about. Um, I'm going to read some scripture as we do this together. If you are with somebody right now, I encourage you to offer communion to one another in this time. Um, but I'll walk us through this. So go ahead and grab your bread and your juice or wine or water. And I'm going to read some scripture for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says... That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I just want to offer this to you right now, or you can offer it to one another. Go ahead and take your bread. A new community, this is Christ's body broken for you. And this is Christ's blood shed for you. Know that you are deeply loved. Um, know that the one who made you knows you and loves you and is a part of your life and is always there for you. Let me pray. God, I am so thankful for the community that you have established at New Community. God, I'm thankful for anybody who is new here today. Um, God, I am so grateful that you have invited us all to your table. Lord, thank you for loving us. I just ask that you, um, God, I ask that your healing presence will be known right now, God, that people will know you more right in this moment, God, and will continue to know your love for them more and more every day. In your name we pray, amen. Love you, new community. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you. Let's sing together praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
about you, Lord. King of endless, a king of endless worth. No one could express how much you New community, let me leave you with this benediction. May we be completely available and surrendered to you, God. May we live a life that is fully abundant, both receiving and experiencing the gospel of Jesus. May we share our story with all who will listen. For Christ has all authority and he will never leave us, even until the end of the age. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and have a great week.